0: Live and local, this is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone, it's a Saints touchdown! Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. It is a Saints touchdown! This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey baby, we are gonna be here! Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like that kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holberg. We're going to be here
1: all day. That's what they're saying in Hoover, Alabama already as the SEC baseball tournament gets underway and already game one, a two-hour rain delay. Bottom of the fifth, Alabama leads Georgia five to one. We'll head to Hoover in just a minute. We'll talk with D1 Baseball's Kendall Rogers as LSU awaits the winner of Kentucky and Auburn at some point in time late, late tonight to see the winner in this single elimination tournament day one to see who they play. What does LSU have to do to, they're in the NCAA tournament. Have they secured a host bid for the regional? Yeah. We'll talk to Kendall Rogers. Kendall Rogers is the baseball uh, with Joe Lenardi and Shelby are to base basketball. He's he's a bracketologist. He's got it all figured out and all the the pros and the cons. So we'll we'll talk with him about that. The raging Cajuns, of course, get ready for Sunbelt tournament play on Thursday as they take on um, South Alabama And it's the best of three series in the Southland Conference as uh, McNeese will host Southeastern starting uh, Thursday at Joe Miller Ballpark in Lake Charles. Got to win two. Six o'clock start on Thursday. Six o'clock start on Friday. Six o'clock start on Saturday if necessary. So good luck to Justin Hill and the Cowboys as they uh, try to win the Southland conference tournament, which would secure their bid into the NCAA tournament. So um, best of luck to them it, it, in their side of the bracket. They went three and beat beating Carnet word, 12 to six beat Nichols, eight to four beating Incarnate word for the championship of their bracket side of the bracket, seven to two Southeastern did the same on their side. The two will meet on Thursday. So, we wish them the very, very best of luck. Back to back to LSU. Um, what do they have to do? Well, they got to win some games. So, Jay Johnson, how do you get your guys to start playing their best baseball at the most important time of the year?
2: A model of what I would call urgency with every game that you play. That way, when you get to the postseason, it feels as normal as possible. Um, you know, when I was at Arizona early on, we talked about treating every game like it was the Super Bowl, and 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 I've kind of rephrased that to the season is a 56-game playoff, and therefore, when you get to the postseason or a playoff, you don't have to change anything in your approach. Um, and so, I think for the most part, we've done a good job of that. It's impossible in the SEC to win every game that you play. Um, but I, I feel confident that um, we will play focused, we'll play loose. Um, it just becomes a matter of playing good good baseball. And so when you can simplify it to it becomes all about the play and, and the fundamentals, you're not attaching anything else to it or adding any extra baggage to what you need to go do to win, that's usually a good space to be in as a team.
1: There's Jake Johnson. The Tigers are in Hoover. They'll uh, play tomorrow at some point in time. Uh, Blake Topmeyer from USA Today will join us. Um, the SEC, uh, we haven't had a spring meeting in the SEC since 2019. This year promises to be a very um, a very fo- focused and very important SEC spring meeting. The SEC has come out and said, you know, we're going to take our ball. Uh, there's a possibility we'll take our ball and we'll take it home and we'll have our own playoff situation as um, Commissioner Sankey, as he continued the mission that he's been on for the past four and a half months, he said, they they'll discuss the idea of creating its own college football playoff when it meets in Dexton, Destin next week. We'll talk to Blake Topmeyer about that. And amidst the, the, the turmoil between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Well, a former Texas A&M commit, dropped his commitment to the Aggies and has uh, committed now to Alabama. And he comes from the state of Louisiana. Four-star quarterback Eli Holstein out of Zachary. Holstein and Arch Manning consider the two best quarterbacks by far in the state and two of the best quarterbacks in the country. Nick Saban gets gets one uh take that all your all your NIL money Aggies he's coming to the Crimson Tide The Boston Celtics beat the Miami Heat last night 102 to 82 outscoring Miami 29 to 11 I think Miami scored their first field goal in the first quarter with about 3 minutes left to go in the quarter then after that it was all all she wrote Miami not one of their starters scored in double figures not one including Jimmy Butler who had 6 points PJ Tucker 0 Bam Adebayo 9 points Kyle Lowry with 3 Max Struss with 0 unbelievable they they just they just I, I, I knew Boston was going to win. I didn't know they'd win like that behind Jason Tatum's 31 and so forth and so on. So that series is tied at two games apiece. The Dallas Mavericks will try and uh, get on the board tonight. It's game four of their best of seven series. The Warriors, of course, winning game three, 109 to 100 um it's win or season over tonight for the Dallas Mavericks sounds crazy doesn't it just man kind of crazy um so we got a lot to talk about uh Justin Napoli will join us to start off our number two with um NBA talk the draft right around the corner next month uh who would he like to see the Pelicans pick with their eighth pick in the first round and then bob rose of the saints news network will join us and we'll talk about all things in the nfl because we've got a bunch of uh high profile players that that aren't uh attending their mini camps we've got uh aaron Rodgers still not around but who cares right murray has skipped the cards otas this week we've got debo samuel what's going to happen with him baker mayfield he's got uh the cleveland browns they're all in the bahamas with their new quarterback and he's back in cleveland well, we'll we'll get it all all under under uh consideration and the best news of the day the nfl discussing the future of the pro bowl they may do away with it once and for all and is there anybody on planet Earth that would complain about that? Yours truly would say good riddance. Who cares? Adios. Goodbye. Never to rear your ugly head again. Please, please, please. Um, we're brought to you on Tuesdays by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets on this Tuesday, May 24th. There are about 60, 62. ShopRite Tobacco Plus discount outlets around southern and central Louisiana. We've got a mission statement. It's simple. It's plain. That is to serve all of you and have you walk out of our stores with a smile on your face. Now, whether you need fresh food, fuel, top shelf wines or spirits, all at great, unbelievable prices, or if you just need a quick pit stop. ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets looks forward to serving you with their spacious stores that are filled with Louisiana products. They've got modern restaurants that are always clean and they're very comfortable. We got delicious food that's always fresh and always fast. You know my slogan, man. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, dudes, you just can't shop right at all. James Mesh back in the Master Control Suite in the game studios, which are on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on in Lake Charles on 1041. We're streaming 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And in the Acadiana area, we are simulcast on stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. So we have a myriad of ways for you to dial us up find us and wherever you may be we thank you so much for making us a part of your day so when we return kendall rogers the guru of d1 baseball lsu where are they what do they need to do is there still a chance they can host a regional we'll get all the info when we return after this timeout here on the Jordy hudberg show
0: He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right, it's conference tournament time in college baseball. Two-hour rain delay slowed things down in the SEC tournament. Alabama leads Georgia 5-1 to now. Bottom of the sixth, the second game of the four-game set, South Carolina and Florida. Third game, Ole Miss, Vandy. And the fourth is Kentucky-Auburn. That thing may be over with by 1 o'clock in the morning. Who knows? But Kendall Rogers is the guru of D1 baseball, the managing editor, and what a terrific job. Uh, the growth of D1 baseball and everything involved with it is tremendous. He's kind enough to join us on a very, very busy day. Kendall, good afternoon, sir. How are you?
3: I'm doing terrific. If this this weather would go away, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm great. Uh, it wouldn't be college baseball <laughs> without in the SEC tournament without rain delays. It just happens. Um, how many teams do you have in the SEC that are going into the NCAA tournament if it started today?
3: Man, right now I think you're looking at eight or nine. I mean, obviously, if you look at the SEC tournament right now, I mean, you've got somebody like Alabama who, if you remember last year, walked, you know, rolled in the SEC tournament 12 wins and won two games here and got in. They're a little bit different scenario this year because last year they had a 31 RPI. This year they're going in with a 48 RPI. So they probably need to win more than a couple of games to get into the tournament. You've got South Carolina sitting there with 13 wins in the conference. But, again, they've got a 67 RPI. They've got to win a lot of games here. Uh, then you have Kentucky pretty much in the same boat as these other teams, 12 wins okay. in the league and 54 RPIs. So, you know, you're pretty much locked into, you know, one, you're in Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Vandy, uh, A&M, Arkansas, LSU, Auburn. And then Ole Miss is the really interesting uh, team, Jordy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if they lost uh, later today, if they end up playing later today, uh, if they lost later today, it makes things mighty interesting where you're looking at an RPI around 37 to 40 with yeah. – uh, you know, 14 SEC wins. It'd be really, really interesting for the Rebs on Selection Monday.
1: If I told you LSU was 37 and 18, 17 and 13 in SEC play, coming off of a three-game sweep of uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville, yep. Vanderbilt with a RPI of five, LSU jumps into the RPI at number 23. What does LSU have to do? Is is a hosting role for the regional still within grasp for them? And if oh, so,
3: yeah, What do they have to I do? I mean, honestly, we we really struggled with our final team uh, in our top sixteen this week. We actually it was either LSU or Georgia Southern, and we kind of sided with Georgia Southern just because the Sun Belt has two teams in Texas State and Georgia Southern who have been phenomenal this year. Um, uh-huh. Georgia Southern is a team right now the top twelve RPI. Uh, we just think they would host as of today, but LSU is right there. It's really kind of what do you prefer? And so, I think as long as LSU, you know, in this tournament, the, the beauty of this tournament for LSU is they've got that four seed, so they're they're guaranteed two games. And I say if they win two games here in Hoover, they're I mean they're a lock to host. I mean I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think if they win one. I think they still got a pretty decent shot. So you know, it's not so much we don't think LSU can host. It's more so. This week, or in our latest projections, we just kind of preferred the team that has the top 12 RPI out of the Sun Belt, which is actually been really good this year at the top.
1: Yeah, it's been a really, really good. Um, the Raging Cajuns from uh, Lafayette, um, they start Sun Belt Conference tournament play. Do they have to win the thing to get in?
3: Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I would say right now, if you're looking at the Sun Belt, so the Sun belts you know, the number six RPI league. You got Texas State, Georgia Southern, and Coastal Carolina as teams. I feel like are locks to get in. Coastal Carolina has been awesome as of late. Yeah. Uh, then you got Louisiana there at 59. Uh, I think for the Cajuns, you know, sitting there at 59 with a 33-21 record, I think they probably need to win three games in this tournament to to put themselves in a really good spot. Uh, to get four bids out of the Sun Belt is very difficult. And so I think they need to win three games. If they can win three games, I think that puts themselves in a very, very good situation during the selection Monday. But the other the caveat here is the other thing you have to keep an eye on is what's going on in other conference tournaments. For instance, right. East Carolina retook the lead, but South Florida, who has no shot to make the tournament, uh, hit a home run a minute ago, take the lead on American Champs East Carolina. So you're watching all these different leagues looking for a team to emerge that essentially knocks a, a league in, you know, from a league that's one bid to all of a sudden the league that's two bid because that's going to knock somebody out. So keep an eye on the stolen bids I the league.
1: And uh, in the Southland Conference, McNeese is taking on Southeastern, best two out of three. I like how they mm-hmm. do those division, division, and then join them in. And, and if McNeese wins, that conference tournament, then they're in somewhere uh as a as a three or four seed.
3: Yeah, they'll be a four seed. But I tell you what, I would not want McNeese in my regional if they won yeah. that regional or if they won that, that series because I mean Justin Hill's done yet another terrific job this year. I mean, that guy has been yeah. phenomenal in McNeese for, for the resources that they have. And so they're a hard nosed team. You know, Peyton Harden's one of the more electric players in college baseball, not just his league but college baseball and they're a really good club. I think they're going to win that series. You know, Matt Matt and Sela uh, you know, they have a pretty good team too, but uh, I like Minnesota to win that. And I tell you what, I, again, I would not want them. My regional. they can absolutely beat anybody.
1: Kendall Rogers kind enough to join us um just a few more minutes. You've seen a lot of baseball. Uh, how mm-hmm. good is this Tennessee Volunteer team?
3: They're really good. I mean, what's scary is that they're so good that it's like what like, you kind of expect them to have an off game at some point. I mean, I know they had the weekend at Kentucky. It was kind of weird with weather. But they've been really, really good ever since they were challenged to U.K. and lost a series. And so, I think the biggest thing for Tennessee is, you know, you have to go in the postseason uh, realizing you're going to get everybody's best shot. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, nobody, nobody would rather knock, you know, a team off their perch quite like Tennessee, you know, kind of the mouthy, chippy team. And so, I think as long as they continue to play the level of baseball they've played over the last three or four months of the season, they're going to be a really tough out. With that said, you know, at, you know, at home the next two or the next three weeks, uh, you know, they're a really tough team. But once you get to Omaha, as we well know, uh, that's not exactly an offensive paradise. So, you know, if yeah. they get to Omaha, they're going to have to adjust kind of the way they operate a little bit because you can't just rely on the lawn ball right. and gappers and things like that in Omaha because those things get just – you know, caught at the wall. And so I'll be interested to see if they get to Omaha, how they handle kind of a different layout from Lindsay Nelson.
1: Kendall Rogers, D one baseball? We'll, uh, just a couple more real quick. LSU first ever three game sweep in Nashville against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not the same team, but when you score 42 runs against Vanderbilt, uh, are you buying stock in LSU in this tournament?
3: You know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I can't, I can't remember if it was on a radio show in our podcast, but, I said a couple of weeks ago when I when I watched the Ole Miss series, I didn't I didn't see LSU being assertive. I didn't see LSU being the aggressor. And I feel like LSU, mm-hmm. when it's at its best, is when it's the aggressor. And I thought that Vanderbilt series, it was the aggressor in games one, two, and three. And you saw the end result. So I, I think LSU is starting to figure out that formula a little bit. You know, we need to be a, the aggressor. I think the other thing for me is Mikhail Hilliard threw really well against Vanderbilt over the weekend. Yeah. They're starting to identify some of those pitching roles. It's been a long road. They're starting to finally identify some of those roles. And so I, I like where this team's at. I think we learned a lot about LSU last weekend because it was easy after that old Miss series to go, boy, like yeah. this team is headed the wrong direction. And then mm-hmm. what do they do? They answer by going on the road and, and really just beating up a Vandy team who looked great the previous weekend at Arkansas. So I like where they're headed. I want to see them do it again this week because it's one thing to do it. Uh, one weekend, I want to see them do that again here. I mean, not necessarily beat somebody by eleven runs, but I want to see them right. play a good brand of baseball here in Hoover. If they do that, I start to feel very good about this team going to postseason.
1: I didn't realize LSU got one hundred and six homers on the year, the the highest since the two thousand nine team that had one hundred and seven. Yeah. So uh, it's been an up and down roller coaster kind of a year. But one player who has been uh, good all year long, the SEC co-player of the year. Uh, Dylan Cruz, he kind of took the thunder from um, some of the other high-profile players on LSU, but he's been terrific at center field, man.
3: He really has, and he he's a great kid, and, you know, he was awesome last year as a freshman, and it, yeah. it's kind of funny when I think back because when he got to LSU, uh, the kind of the M.O. on him was like, oh, he's got a lot of swing and miss, swing and miss. But I'll tell you what, whether it's last year or this year, I mean, he's just been a phenomenal hitter. He has a mature approach. He's he's not chasing stuff left and right in his own. He's got big-time power. He's playing his position well. He is the overall product that you want, whether it's a prospect or a college baseball player. And I think he's very much deserving a player of the year honors over those two guys.
1: All right, last one. Uh, Alabama, 5-1 over Georgia, top of the seventh. What is the rule now? This thing with this two-hour rain delay pushes everything back is there a cutoff time for kentucky and auburn or or if it's 10 o'clock will they go play
3: so my understanding is they're going to try to play but do not be surprised if we deal with weather again tomorrow which is fully expected if that Mm -hmm. happens i would not be shocked to see this tournament move to single elimination because at that point you just got to get something in and you know if you let's say you get rained out half of tomorrow or you get rain half the day tomorrow, which is I think it's a hundred percent chance to rain all afternoon. Like you can't get in nine inning games that many nine inning games in in three days. So I think they'll they end up going to a single elimination if we end up not getting to the game in later tonight because we've got a line of storms moving this way that's supposed to be here for at five o'clock. That's supposed to last two hours. I don't I don't mm-hmm. see any way possible they get four games in today. Yeah,
1: uh, Hoover needs to spend some money and get a retractable roof, man. Come on. I mean, it's a, in,
3: in all honesty, at the least they need to go to turf. I get it, like like purists hate it but like if you're going to have an outdoor tournament like this you really need to have turf because then when it stops raining you're ready to roll like 10 minutes later
1: dude there's only so much press box food you can eat i mean that's going to be a long day (laughs) long day (laughs) gotta watch gotta watch
3: those pounds i'm just just glad the tournament's not being held in louisiana can you imagine if i had press box food in louisiana (laughs) i'd be in trouble
1: Man, I look thank you so much for giving us some time today, man. I really do appreciate it. So you in essence, in essence, LSU's definitely in the tournament. Right now they're they're razor thin as, as far as hosting, but if they win a game or two, you think it's a lock.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean I actually would go either way with him or Georgia Southern right now. I think with the winners here, I think this seal the deal. I think they're they're hosting.
1: You're the best. Uh, Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Thank you so much. Uh, If you want to see the
3: Astros, you
1: got it, man. If you want to see the Astros in person, listen up. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations, that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So Cajun's got to win two or or three to get in. McNeese, he picks the, the Cowboys to win that uh, Southland Conference matchup with the uh, Lions from Southeastern. We could have all three teams in the dance. Wouldn't that be terrific? All right. Uh, we're brought to you by ShopRite, tobacco plus discount outlets. After this timeout, boy, can the SEC have their own playoff system? And, um, boy, the SEC spring meetings are going to be fun. We'll talk all about it with Blake Topmeyer, USA Today. Next, after this timeout, on the Jordy Helford Show. On the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles.
0: Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Oh,
1: Destin, Florida. So many people love to go there for the sun, the sand, the food. Well, next week, it's the uh, the resumption of the SEC spring meetings. Haven't had it since 2019. And this year promises to be a lot of fun. Blake Topmeyer, our good friend, uh, joins us as he does a terrific job covering the SEC for USA Today's Network. Blake, good afternoon, sir. How are you?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, Man, uh, you see, I think in the background, uh, Greg Sankey, who, by the way, is the least compensated commissioner amongst all the Power Five commissioners. So the SEC... Has got a steal of a deal. I'm sure there's a renegotiation coming on this thing soon, sooner or later. But um, I think he's sitting back in his offices, going, "Man, we're in the headlines again." I know it's Saban, I know it's Fisher, uh, but we're in the headlines, and the SEC is kind of like the NFL; it never
4: stops, right? It, it really doesn't, and I think even more so now. Uh, you know, even amid all this grumbling, particularly from the coaches uh, about this NIL landscape and you know you've heard a lot of coaches say this is bad for the sport you know fans are going to lose interest they're they're not going to like this brand of college athletics like i don't think so i mean there might be some things that not everybody likes but in terms of like fan interest i think it's been a pretty spicy off season probably the uh um, the most compelling off season i can remember in in many many years whether it be the player movement or now you have this very public spat between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Like, um, I don't think it's it's killing off fan interest in, in college football by no means. No. no. it's. I mean, people are
1: talking about it. I mean, it's it, it's great. Um, now that the dust has settled, uh, Saban didn't say anything that I don't think that wasn't true. Yes, he should have put it in a different way, but, um, Boy, and Jimbo reacted right, and he's still reacting.
4: Yeah, it, I mean, with with Nick's comments, like it's a pretty loaded word to say that he bought uh, mm-hmm. that, that Jimbo bought the entire recruiting class, or that Texas A and M bought the the entire recruiting class. And of course, uh, you know that's been speculated about. You know how much NIL has in had an influence. On that number one ranked recruiting class for for Texas A and M, and I think it is fair to speculate about that yeah. because you know pre NIL Texas A and M hadn't signed a recruiting class that that lofty. But to, for, for Nick to say it so definitively and to use that that loaded word "bought" that insinuates that Texas A and M was cheating. He didn't use the word right. cheating, but I think that's what it right. clearly in, insinuated. Right. And and the fact of the matter is, you know whether whether Savin likes these NIL collectives or not, and Clearly doesn't. Um, that's the way of the land right now, and so I don't blame Jimbo for firing back. What's interesting, though, is like Jimbo's desperation yes. almost to to make it seem like NIL had nothing to do with this. Like, yes. what's the harm? It, it would seem only natural for Jimbo to yes. say, you know, to be clear, you know, no NCA rules were broken here, whether they were or they weren't. Of course, you're you know, if you're the coach, you're going to say they weren't, but. Right. You know, reiterate that you think you got a great NIL program. That you think Texas A and M's a great spot for players to uh, to earn these deals. And and again, reiterate that there's nothing um, nefarious going on here, but that Texas A and M is proving itself to be a destination um, for NIL deals. I just I, I can't quite understand why he's so desperate to make it seem like NIL has nothing to do with this. Like, why not embrace it? Um, you should have. And also you should have. Yeah. I, I also think too it's it's going to attract a bigger spotlight. It's going to attract more pressure on Texas A and M, and and so you know I, I think Jimbo it was a pretty it was a pretty epic takedown on some levels of Savin, but <laughs> you wonder did he cut off, cut off his nose despite to, to his face there?
1: I think that he took this thing personally. I think he's had something against Nick from way back when when they were at LSU together, and it's festered and it's grown and it's just whatever happened to the old. Honor Among Thieves, because you can't point one finger at somebody without having three more pointing back at you. So it it makes for interesting stuff. And, of course, today what happens? A former Texas A&M commit from Louisiana, a quarterback, Eli Holstein, commits to Alabama now. So the, the war keeps going on and on. I love it. I love it.
5: Yeah,
4: I mean, if, like I said, if you like off-season drama, you're getting uh, a full dose of it. And I, I, I really think we've talked about this before. It's the changes in the sport, whether it be the the, the free transfer, whether it be NIL deals. It really has made this a year-round yeah. event, you know. And and it's like everybody forgot about spring football, you know. <laughs> that that's kind of passe. Now to be talking about spring practice, we got wheeling and dealing. We got public spats uh, <laughs> spilling over at, at the microphone. Like no need to talk about practice anymore. We're talking about uh, free agency acquisitions for, I guess, for lack of a better term. And 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 you know, on top of that, you know, you got Texas and Oklahoma coming in the SEC here in a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. And if you saw the report from from Sports Illustrated today, it seems like um, yeah. you know the SEC might be joining the wave of of conferences going to be dumping divisions here in the next couple of years. And so, I mean, you got that on top of it too, as, as another element of intrigue with, uh, you know, possibly, you know, reconfiguring the conference and, and how it's going to look from a scheduling format after Texas and Oklahoma join.
1: I'm curious if Texas and Oklahoma are going to have representatives just to sit in, listen, observe, take some things in this, this coming week in Destin, or would that be just totally taboo?
4: Yeah, I'm not aware of that happening. I don't think it it, it will, but, uh, you know, if Texas and Oklahoma could swing that, I would think that, uh, um, yeah, why why not do that, even if, you know, you're, they're not going right. to get a vote at this point, but at least uh, right. be able to hear what's being discussed. But I, I don't think uh, that's going to happen. Now, you know, that makes the scheduling component easy, or, or you know, easier, I guess, for the remaining SEC teams, but harder for, for Texas and Oklahoma because they don't they don't have a voice really in all this deal they don't right. they certainly don't have a vote but I guess that's that's the way it goes when you're the when you're the newcomer you you take whatever hand you're dealt and uh, and wear it with a smile.
1: All right, so the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten, known as the Alliance, voted against playoff expansion last January when the proposed 12-team model had some initial support from the Power Five conferences, including the SEC. And so on Monday, uh, Greg Sankey kind of continued that mission he's been on for the past four and a half months. And according to uh, Pete Thamel, the SEC is going to discuss the idea of creating its own college football playoff. Explain to me, please. You know, I, I from my initial standpoint is, okay, four divisions, four teams, the winners of each division – they meet in the semi, uh, there's two semifinal games, and then there's a title game. I, that's all I can garner out of this. But really, talk to me, Blake. Talk well, to me.
4: You, you know, one of the things here is to change the playoff format while it's under contract, of course, you needed unanimous approval from all conference commissioners. and And they couldn't get that. And so we're remaining at four through the 2025 season. However, after that contract's over, you don't have to have – unanimous approval and so the one thing i'm thinking with this is sankey really doesn't want an 18 playoff he's on record with that he doesn't see how it helps the sec i agree with him um i think the sec gets two in and a four-team playoff often enough and i think in an 18 playoff particularly with six auto bids the sec is still going to be probably sitting with with two bids so an 18 playoff doesn't help the sec so the thing i'm thinking here is if he thinks he's not going to get his way and the other conference commissioners are going to band together and say, "Hey, we're going to bump it up from 4 to 8." You know, Greg Sankey could say, "That's fine. We'll take our ball and we'll go home." <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh you guys go ahead go ahead and have your little 18 playoff over here. We'll stage our own playoff. Now, do I think that's the ideal outcome for the SEC? No. And, and no. I think if you uh you know, if you got Greg Sankey to speak honestly, and I don't even I think he'll be asked about this in Destin and I think he'll be up front about it. I don't think the SEC breaking off and forming its own playoff, I don't think he would say that's an ideal, the perfect solution. However, I also don't see him bending the knee and saying, okay, you know, after this playoff contract ends, we'll just accept whatever whatever the rest of you guys want, even if it's something that, that the SEC doesn't want. No, I think, I think the SEC can play hardball here and say, you know, we're still fine with four or we're fine with 12, but if you want to go to eight, we're out of here.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I don't see the I don't see the um, the the eight thing. I don't understand the format of that. I, I I think you jump from four to twelve. I think that's that's the best way to go. But hey, um, that's just my humble opinion on things. But it's going to be very interesting these meetings and 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 back to Sabin again and and this. Uh, you know, I, I saw you know Mike Krzyzewski, uh retire. Uh, through age, but I think there was something else to it. I saw Jay Wright, who certainly can coach more, but I wonder how much this NIL and this transfer portal, I wonder if Nick Saban sees the writing on the wall, because the one thing he always said was control what you can control. Well, he can't control this stuff anymore. And the big advantage he had at Alabama, he may not have that anymore when it comes to recruiting So I wonder if this is kind of... He sees the door. He sees the light at the end of the tunnel, and he sees that door, and maybe I get one more championship and I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore.
4: Well, I think if he gets tired of it, maybe. But I think it's—it's maybe a little in the moment to think that Alabama is going to struggle to recruit in this new landscape. I think there might be a little more competition in in those recruiting battles uh, from some new faces that, that maybe weren't rising up in the past. But I still think... You know, maybe Alabama doesn't sign a number one or number two ranked recruiting class year after year after year. I still think Alabama, as long as Nick Saban wants to coach there, is yeah. going to perform very very well in the recruiting rankings. I mean, we just saw this past year. Yes, Texas A and M signed the number one ranked class, but there right. at number two was Alabama, and we're now when we're seeing in the in the transfer portal, Alabama's not winning the the transfer battle in terms of quantity. But I think in terms of quality, they're doing very well in the transfer portal. I mean, we've seen it this off season. They've added five guys, and all five of them I think could be starters on this team. And it's not like they were hurting necessarily for talent on this team anyway, yeah. but they added five really high-quality guys that I think will be starters. So, you know, could this – the irony of this is, is all that Nick Saban was applauding the parodying college football in the old format, which – course, was laughable because there really was no parody in college football in the old format. Um, this might offer a smidge more parody, a smidge more competition for, for Alabama in, in the recruiting landscape, but I don't think Alabama is going to fall off a, a cliff as long as they've there. I, I think they're going to still um, you know, be landing a lot of punches in, in the recruiting trail, and they can use these transfers to supplement them. But the transfers in particular might be less worried about what NIL deal they're going to get. And they may be much more focused on, okay, I got one or two years of college ball left here. Where can I go to improve my NFL stock the most yeah. in my yeah. year or two left? And Alabama has always proven itself to be a great destination for that. So I, I don't think Alabama's going anywhere. But if Saban just decides, hey, I'm tired of this stuff. I don't, I don't want to deal with this NIL landscape, then, then maybe it does speed up his clock a little bit.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. We shall see. It I was great to hear Steve Spurrier chime in. I am shocked. <laughs> I am totally shocked that Lane Kiffen hasn't been uh, peacocking about the 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 comments from both of the you know from Sabin and Fisher. I'm st- stunned. Has Lane Kiffen matured or something? What's going on?
4: Well, he did maybe get a, a few early jabs in. He had his little popcorn tweet at first, but of course <laughs> I think Sankey stepped in and said, "All right, everybody quiet down here." But the the great thing in Spurrier's case is Greg Sankey doesn't control him and I'm not sure anyone <laughs> ever controls uh right. Steve Spurrier. And so of course and, and he could have landed a great jab there either way. We've seen Spurrier jab at, at Saban before. He's been one of the yes. few coaches over the years that have been willing to to needle it, at Nick a little bit, but instead he he took a, a little jab at, at Jimbo and kinda made the point of, Well, Jimbo really hasn't won anything at Texas A and M but I guess That's he did right. beat Alabama last year at as Spurrier said, um, and so you know he felt like maybe that gave Jimbo the freedom to to say something here. But I thought that was the, you know leave it to uh, leave it to Spurrier to to, to remind us all that uh, you know Jimbo it's been it's been a long time you know since Jimbo even won a division title. You have to go back to 2014 to find the last time that uh, that Jimbo won a division. And that's not to say that I don't think he's a good fit for Texas A&M. Honestly, he is, um, and I think Texas A&M's fan base, their donor base they're eating out of the palm of his hand right now but uh yeah. you know now he's got to go out and back it up on on the field and, Ooh, and in, uh we'll in, see in,
1: in Tuscaloosa that's going to be fine. maybe maybe Greg Sankey was very uh much of the um the harbinger of things to come when he signed David Cut- Cutcliffe to his uh his office to uh build relationships that bond the SEC how about how about that for your first assignment try and uh bond the relationship between Sabin and Fisher. How about that?
4: Yeah, it's so funny. And you may have saw this this column I wrote a couple of weeks ago, um, or a little over a week ago, about Cutcliffe in that role. And what was interesting is I'd had that interview with Cut and and wrote that column before this whole dust up. So we're talking about how he's, you know, glad-handing and hamming it up with coaches and trying to, um, you know, forge deeper bonds within the conference. And I thought, boy, if this would sort of interview would have happened about a week later, uh, the the stories we could we could have discussed at, at that point. So yeah, um, uh, t- tough assignment there. I think right now for David Cutcliffe coming what, in, of what? course he's a familiar face, but uh, doesn't doesn't seem like everybody's getting along so well right now. And, no. and Personally, I don't think that's such a huge problem, right? I mean, it's it's competitive, it's sports. Um, not everybody has to get along all the time.
1: What is going to be the biggest topics of discussion? I mean, you know, the the Oklahoma, Texas, that's in 2025. The playoff, 2025. But here we are getting ready to end 2022, begin 2023. What what are the most important topics that the SEC is going to be facing and discussing?
4: Well, I mean, I think we're going to hear a lot of conversation about NIL, but I think it's going to be a lot of griping and few solutions. So I think the biggest thing that I'm interested in, is any conversation about why, the way the league is going to be structured after Texas and Oklahoma join. I know it's still a few years away, but I think that is probably topic number one on a lot of fans' minds right now. Truly. I mean, I, you know, it seems as if the sport is trending in a direction of dumping divisions and going with, a you know, a single-division format. And, and, and what that affects is, okay, how many rivalry opponents do you have every year? How many locked-in yeah. opponents do you have? Um, to preserve some of these rivalries. Is it just going to be one rivalry rep- opponent? Is it going to be a couple of them, a few of them that you play every year? I think yeah. that's some stuff that, that fans are particularly interested in. Yeah. And coaches are interested in it, too. You know, and, and fan and coach motivations in those cases don't always match. If you're a fan, I think you want to see as many compelling matchups possible. And you want your team to win as many games. But All I don't right. think a lot of fans want to see cupcake you know, schedules to, and you. ducking the, the better opponents and, and, and ditching you. your rivalries uh, just to try to get a couple extra wins. Now, coaches, I think particularly if you're a coach at a at a program that's trying to find its way, I think your motivations are different, and you want whatever schedule is going to give you a chance to, huh, you know, get to a winning record and to, and to save your job, right? And so I think any conversation about that is going to be really juicy, and, and, and then the playoff as well. Again, even yeah. though it's a few years off, um, I think when we're talking about, like, big-picture stuff, for this sport, all, all this NIL stuff, I think it's going to quiet down in, in time. I don't know if it's going to totally fade in the background, but I don't think it's going to dominate the news cycle as much as it does now. I, I think things that, that really affect the future of a sport and, and, and that fans are, are really craving to know is what's the playoff going to look like and what's the schedule going to look like. And, and and are some of these rivalry games going to be preserved or um, are they going to be ditched in favor of trying to cycle opponents you know through campuses? Uh, faster and adding more variety to the schedules. I, I think that's going to be a really uh, interesting conversation point. Yeah, I,
1: I still think my first question would be why aren't Texas and Oklahoma in the league now, or it, it, are you really going to, are they both going to wait till 2025 to do that? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for them to be in limbo in that league when they could be in the sec. I know it's money, but I mean, there's money to be made. Uh, just pay it, pay it and let's go I, I just I cannot foresee them waiting that long to join the conference. I just can't
4: yeah I mean money money rules the world right and I think if they yeah. they crunched the numbers and found it was a better financial situation to leave now uh they do so I, I do agree though just from the optics of it I mean they're it's like a lame duck president or something or yeah. a president you know is not running for a second. Second term, yes. it's, just, it's just kind of strange why they play out the string, right? And yes. um, you know, and and I think that's a, um, the way I look at you know Oklahoma and Texas remaining in the Big Twelve for however long it's going to be, and and the company line at this point is still that it's going to be through twenty twenty four, and I think you know folks like you and I remain skeptical of that. But yep. Yep. at this point, we're almost a, a year since they've been admitted, and we really haven't seen yep. much, at least public public movement. Uh, in favor of of joining the SEC early, and again, I think it does come back to that uh, crunch in the numbers situation. I mean, let's face right. it; that's why they're joining the SEC anyway yeah. is is well, uh, 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 m- you know chasing the almighty dollar.
1: Well, Blake, bring your swimsuit, bring your sunscreen, and go have fun in Destin. And thank you for your time as always. You're the best.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Take care, Blake Topmeyer, USA Today, covering the conference where it just means more. The game, 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles, wants to upgrade your experience to Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You can score a pair of VIP passes, plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. is presented by Social Entertainment, raider solutions louisiana raging cajuns and the game southwest louisiana sports station we'll update the sec tournament final timeout hour number one here on the geordie helpert show all right welcome back top of the eighth now at the sec baseball tournament alabama five georgia one um, Let's see here. Uh, so we'll update you on that. Fleur de Lynx is going to be a new restaurant uh, backed by Drew Brees, set to open near New Orleans. So uh, stay tuned for that one. How about that? Okay, coming up, power number two, we'll talk NBA playoffs with Justin Napoli, Bob Rose, Saints News Network, all things NFL. This is the Geordie Helpert Show brought to you by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. Are you a Buku Rewards member? If you are, then you know. If you aren't, then you don't. And because if you don't, well, you'd save so much money. So much money in the store. You can save significantly at the fuel fill-up with their new Gator Gas program. You can earn additional cents off per gallon on every fuel purchase. Just become a Bucu Rewards member at ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. This is the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. One down, one to go on this Tuesday, May 24th. We'll be back.
0: Live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game Mobile app and online at 1037TheGame.com. It is the Saints This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby! We're gonna be! Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy
1: Holberg. It's our number two of two, and away we go on this Tuesday, May 24th, the year 2022, brought to you by ShopRite Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets, daily deals all the time. But with the Rebuku Rewards program, you can continue to save money. They've added a fuel rewards program where you can earn a significant fuel fill-up discount just through your store purchases. And in addition, if you join our new Gator Gas program, you can earn additional cents off per gallon on every fuel purchase. I wish I did it today. It took me not $88 to fill up my car today. So um, get the rewards program, the Buku rewards program, and see the benefits in your Wallet. Yes, indeed. Bottom of the eighth, Alabama five, Georgia one game one of the SEC baseball tournament. The Cajuns open up uh, later on this week in the Sunbelt Conference tournament against South Alabama. And it's a best out of three series between McNeese and Southeastern in the Southwind Conference tournament that gets underway Thursday as well. We saw last night in the NBA another, um, just one of those days. It's like, my gosh, the uh, Boston Celtics just put it all on the Miami Heat. And that series is tied at two games apiece tonight. It's the Golden State Warriors trying to close out the Dallas Mavericks. Let's talk some, some NBA hoops with our good friend, Blue Crew Media's Justin Napoli. Justin, what's happening, my man? How are you? Good, Jordy. It's
5: good to hear your voice. How's everything going?
1: Everything's good, man. Um, These NBA playoffs. um, Look, Golden State's going to win. Golden State's going to win in the West. Who's going to win in the East? Who do you like?
5: I wish we could just fast forward and just get to the uh, NBA draft because at this point, uh, it's just been really unwatchable, and you know the Celtics are a good team, but they're banged up. The Heat are good; yep. they're kind of banged up as well. And as you know, as you were mentioning it, as we're about to get on, it's just it's just blowout after blowout. Um, I see this going seven in the Eastern Conference, and I do too. Uh, I think the Heat will probably take it. Um, wow! But I mean, I don't see anybody beating the Warriors. The Warriors are so deep. Uh, they're back to their, you know, blitzkrieg in the third quarter. They're playing defense. Yeah. Steph Curry's, un- you know, out of his world right now. Clay Thompson uh, looks to be back. Um, I remember watching Clay in that last game of the year against the Pelicans, and, and I remember talking to myself just like, he kind of looks like the old Clay. I know he got to a bad start uh, coming off the injury, multiple injuries, but he looks to being back to Clay Thompson of old, uh, defending well and also shooting well. Um, so I mean I, I really don't think about beating the Warriors, but between the Heat and the Celtics, um, it's just been kind of kind of hard to watch. You know everything's been kind yeah. of a blowout, and uh, you really don't know what you're going to get. But I feel like the team with home court advantage, Miami, is going to probably win in seven. Um, but you know the Celtics can the Celtics can win one on the road, but who knows? To be honest,
1: with you. who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think Golden State is the favorite. They're healthier. Um, than these other teams who keep banging each other up. Um, all right, so you said, let's skip ahead to the NBA draft. We had the uh, NBA Combine that took place. Um, anything to report from there that uh, would pique our
5: curiosity? Yeah, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people like the kid from uh, Kentucky, Shane Sharp, but he didn't really, yeah. what I don't about him, Jordy, and I was talking with a couple people today, is uh, I don't like that he hasn't, has not played, you know. Like he hasn't played basketball. You know, he didn't play for Kentucky. Uh, right. so he kind of worked a little bit. Uh, the one kid who I really like, uh, I think he'll be there at eight, is Ben Matherin out of Arizona. Um, he's a guy that is NBA ready. What I mean by that is his body's already formed, but he's NBA body ready. He's got a good shot. He's a high IQ player, uh, very explosive. Um, and, and a guy with high IQ. You know, I was talking with a couple of other, couple people today about we don't need another project. The Pelicans don't need another project. They're right. they're ready now. And if you want to take a project, I don't think now is the time uh, because the time like they they're ready. Like Zion's coming back, Bi's ready, CJ ready, JV ready. You know, we're ready to win now. So I don't want to see a project. Uh, I, I don't think I don't see Ben Matherin as a project. And another guy, the only probably there's two people I trade up for in this draft, uh, Jordy. It'd be Jabari Smith or Jaden Ivey. I love Jaden Ivey. There's some people that say they don't really like him. He is, I mean, an absolute blur in the full court. He can get to the hoop. He is tough as nails. I really like the guy. I like the kid. He, He he's battle tested. Uh, and he's a guy that, if you notice, Shorty, when the Pelicans play fast, they're really, really good. And those Suns victories, uh, they ran the Spurs off the floor, but in those Suns victories, they ran the Suns off the floor. And I think in today's NBA, you got to have a guy that can really push the tempo. And some people yeah. are like, well, we have Zion, you have Brandon, you have CJ. And I understand that, but Jaden Ivey is a blur in the open court. Yeah. So. You know, he's a guy I really like and Ben Matherin. Other than that, Jordy, you know, you're not going to get Chet. Uh, you're most likely not getting Jabari. Um, right. You know, at eight, either Griffin will take those two or maybe he trades back and maybe tries to get a veteran in like they did with C.J. McCollum.
1: Hmm, interesting. I, I really do like Ivy. He's got that extra gear. He's 20 years old. He came from Purdue. He can play – I think he can play – point i think he can play shooting guard i think he can play small forward for you so i really like it the other kid that that i personally like um and you mentioned it's not a project and he gives you backcourt scoring I, I like the johnny davis kid from wisconsin he's 20 years old he he's kind of a i don't know he, he just does a little bit he's both both ends of the court he's come from wisconsin so you know what kind of player you're getting there he's unselfish he can score doesn't need the ball to be happy, so he's going to play defense. I like him as well. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where they go with this thing. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, and they might as well swing for the fence
5: now. They, they Get a player that can come in and play right away. Yeah, I mean, listen. I think that, you know, it's funny. I, I went through this, too. It's like, well, who are we going to add in the offseason? Well, you're about to add a guy named Zion Williamson. who's yeah. 24 24 points per game and 62% from the field, so he's really a pretty good addition for these Pelicans. Uh, but they got to get shooting. And I keep saying this, Jordy, all good teams have depth. Look at yes. the Final Four. I mean, they got you got to have guys coming off the bench that can be productive. And like I look at the Mavericks, and you know they're not great, but they, they have decent depth. Like they have Berton coming off the bench. He's doing He's playing productive minutes. You look at the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they have Jordan Poole coming off the bench. I mean, you right. look at you know, in the East with the Celtics, you have Grant Williams coming off the bench, who's been very, very productive. And then yeah. also, obviously, the Miami Heat. I think the Miami Heat, I know Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, I mean, Hero, have obviously hurt last night. But they got mm-hmm. Oladipo coming off the bench, who filled it yeah. very nicely last night and had 20-something points. That's yeah. what this team has always missed, with the Pelicans. You're Going into next year, the thought process needs to be that Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, maybe even CJ McCollum, are not going to play 82 games. And that's Okay but you got to have guys that can be plugged in and play and not have this really bad dip off. I think when Brandon was out this year I, I don't have the stats in front of me but they were like 3 and 17 or something ridiculous. That can't happen next year. If you want to yeah. honestly be a contender, you got to have a bench depth. You got to have guys that can plug in for Zion Williamson and, and Brandon Ingram so they don't have to carry the load for 82 games.
1: Do you have the belief that uh, uh that Trey Murphy's going to make an incremental leap? uh look he he played so well in the playoffs um he he really became a factor I I think his confidence level has got to be up high. and I think I think here's a guy that can that can come off to be that sixth man maybe off your bench that can give you scoring that can play some defense that does a little bit of everything I think he's going to I think I mean at least I hope he's going to elevate his game pretty significantly
5: yeah, I'm big on Trey Murphy. I'm glad you brought him up because that has gotten not talked about enough. Is that uh, also defensively, he's grown a lot. Yeah. Um, in the beginning of the season, he looked lost, and I don't blame him as a rookie. Right. Uh, you are going to be lost. But it looked like later in the year, when he's playing meaningful games against the Lakers and the Spurs and then the Clippers and then obviously in the playoffs, his defensive rotations were good. And something not talked about enough with him is his length and rebounding. And what I mean by rebounding, his aggressiveness. Of rebounding, he's a very aggressive rebounder, which is really nice to have. And so, Trey Murphy would be a guy I think. I almost sure, unless they're making a big play, I I don't see him being traded. I do see some others being traded, and probably Jackson Hayes. I think will probably be moved this off season, mm-hmm. possibly Devontae Graham. Um, I just don't see it with Jax. Uh, you know, unfortunately, maybe you know he'll, he'll find his, himself probably in a couple of years, but. Right now, um, I just don't see a spot for him because if he's not going to play the center, you got exactly. Zion coming back. I don't right. know where he can really play. I'm with um, you. St- you know, and, and like Jack's athletic ability is so great and seems to be a great kid and everything like that. It's just, I, I don't, you know, that was a project, Jordy, that didn't yes. hit. I don't, we don't need yes. any more projects.
1: <laughs> no, you don't need that. Um, uh, Stan Van Gundy started it with this point Zion. Do you think Willie Green continues that, or do you think um, he takes a different approach?
5: Here's, here's what I like and what I don't like about Point Zion. People get wrapped up that we have Point Zion, and he's going to be the point guard for 48 minutes. And ball, it's, yeah. That's not the case. Not, point no. Zion is effective in closing out quarters and crunch time. Like that's, yeah. point, that's where I like Point Zion. When, he's out in the, you know, when he gets the ball in transition, go. I get it. But when yeah. it's kind of slow paced and you're setting up your half court offense, Zion Williamson is not a point guard. Like mm-hmm. he needs to be on the block, setting down screens, ball screens, etc. He does not need to be a point guard. But Willie Green will implement some type of point Zion because he's just an unstoppable force. He's kind of like Giannis in a sense, and he's got great vision, good passing ability. So I do like point Zion in certain segments of the game, okay. just not 48 minutes. Um, and that's why I think this, this team needs a point guard because C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram are not point guards, and I don't want them to be point guards. They need to be off ball, down screens, moving off ball, and that's where they're most effective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people, that's like probably one of the big topics this offseason does this team need a point guard, and I see both sides. I just would like to see as Like, for instance, Jose Alvarado, great point guard. Gets everybody in the right spots, sets people up, great in the pick and roll. He gets everybody an open shot. I feel like that's what the Pelicans could could need and could look for in the offseason.
1: You know, you mentioned Giannis and Zion and their ability to get the ball to the rim and take it from, you know, 30 feet and, and maneuver and their unstoppable forces. What's made Zion, uh, Giannis so good is his three-point shooting. He's gotten better and better. I'll never forget Zion's first game. I think it was four for four from downtown. And then after that, yeah, of course, he hadn't played that much, but, do you see him becoming an effective three-point shooter?
5: Oh, good question. Um, let me ask you this question: How do you judge a uh, good shooter? Do you, I mean, we could have a different opinion on this, but
1: well, I in other think, words, if he's open and he
5: takes it, he's got to make some. That's all I, I. I mean, that's all I. And say. like, I completely get it. I understand, but the point is, is it going to get there? And the reason why I do think that Zion will get there is because he's a good free throw shooter. He's got the touch. He's 77%. He's a decent to good free throw shooter. That touch will translate. He's 21 years old, 22 years yeah. old. Will he be a good three point shooter this year, Jordy? I don't know. But in the future, yeah. I think I can I can see him becoming a three point shooter because his touch, his form isn't that bad. Uh, there's some actually, you know, some actual photos of him at Duke and shooting with his fingertips. It, it, he's got a nice release and a nice shot. Yeah. I don't know if that translates this year, but I do see him becoming a shooter in the next couple of years.
1: I am just really intrigued and we'll end on this one as to how um, this team operates when all healthy and all well and all together. How many shots are going to be distributed? How many is CJ going to get? How many is um, Zion going to get? How many is Brandon going to get those poor other guys? I mean, they might as well just pick up the garbage.
5: What's great about Zion and Brandon is that they're very unselfish players. I think you've seen Brandon since coming to New Orleans. um, His assists have gone up every single year.
0: Yeah, Uh, true.
5: So he's gotten better. I think this year you saw him set up a lot of people. I think he was great, you know, passing and getting off the basketball. Jordy, that was that was the difference from last year. Brandon with Stan, and this year Brandon with Willie is that he made the right reads most of the time. I feel like with Stan, he would force a lot of shots and allow lot of bad shots. This year, Brandon was lethal from, the, you know, from 15 feet in, from the junction, we all know that, a mid-range killer. But he was also really good at reading the defense and making the right play. So I don't worry about it with him and or Zion. When Zion plays, okay. I mean, he can see two, three bodies. He gives that ball up. Now, the problem here is, what's other than his problem? The question, the big question is who is he gonna be throwing it to? CJ McCullough, Trey Murphy, hopefully branding him, you know, upticks in his three point percentage this year. Yeah. You get a couple of other guys, you know, Herb Jones maybe takes a jump in a three point percentage this year. Maybe Jose yeah. Alvarado, you know, Devontae Graham's another guy, right? There yeah. there's that argument. Well, why wasn't Devontae Graham good this year? Is because he didn't have Zion. I don't necessarily buy it, but Devontae Graham will be shooting wide open threes as well. So it's gonna be interesting. I <laughs> I don't really worry about that. I'm more worried about making the right play and the right read and having the right personnel on the court. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, Willie's learned. I think that hopefully Griffin gives it to him. (laughs) I I think that's the one need, uh, Jordy, is is three-point shooting.
2: Uh, They
5: weren't that great this year. I think they have to improve this year. And if you are going to pick at eight, Ben Madden, 38% three-point shooter, (laughs) looks like he'll translate to the NBA as well sounds great
1: justin thank you man love talking hoops with you i greatly appreciate it man have a great week and enjoy the uh the uh warriors and the the mavericks tonight man thank you we <laughs> will do thanks jordy take care all right buddy uh today is the day that you join the game clubhouse not only is it free to join but you'll get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts like a 50 dollars gift certificate to the half shell oyster house or a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. You can only score that $50 gift certificate to the Half-Shell Oyster House or that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free and it's simple, so go sign up today. At least one NFL pundit is very high on the New Orleans Saints. Um, Peter King is. We'll talk about that and much, much more on the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose after this timeout, the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 104 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
0: It's time for Jordy to march into some New Orleans Saints talk with Saints News Network's Bob Rose. Here is the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Robert,
6: how are you, sir? Happy uh, Tuesday, man. What's going on these days? Happy Tuesday to you, my friend. Uh, Whole family has uh, been fighting off a flu virus all weekend, but mm. otherwise we're hanging in there. Uh, you glimpses of OTAs so you can smell football in the air. Can't get it yeah. much better. Uh,
1: apparently Michael Thomas is in the building. And uh, I don't know if he's going to participate in OTAs, but at least he's there, and that's that's a positive sign.
6: It sure is. It's definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, and I, I think uh, you know, when Dennis Allen mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Michael Thomas and his comments a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people blew that out of context. Uh, you know, worried that uh, that uh, Big Mike would not be available for the uh, regular season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that Tom uh, Dennis Allen was playing it rather close to the vest. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't believe that the team is going to try to rush Michael Thomas uh, or Jameis Winston for that matter back into action through these OTAs. I sure it would be nice to see them in action, but the important thing is. Uh, that they get healthy quickly, and that they're ready for training camp. That's the big date to watch.
1: Are we going to have any issues uh, with the Saints like they're having in Arizona, like they're having in Green Bay, like they're having in San Francisco with key players who are just saying, "Eh, I want to go to these OTAs, which are not mandatory, right? They're just voluntary, but there's no such thing as voluntary. Is there really?
6: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when I when I was coaching, you know, my my athletes knew, uh, you know, that the, the the term voluntary was merely an imaginary word. Uh, I, I don't think, barring you know, barring injury or you know, family uh, issues or anything like that, I don't see any key sink players missing time through TAs or anything like that. The vet, the the coaching staff is going to take it easy on the veterans. Uh, you know, they want to see that their entire group is in there. And I believe with a new head coach and so many new pieces on both sides of the football, uh, you know, that a lot of these veterans are anxious to get to work in the first place.
1: Bob Rose, Saints News Network here on the Black and Gold Report. I've said it numerous times with you, the Saints have done everything they I think they can for the most part offensively to help Jameis Winston. But I think the Saints have done everything they can to help Dennis Allen. On both sides of the ball, to make maybe fill those huge shoes of a of what could be a Hall of Fame coach down the road in Sean Payton. Do you feel that same way? And if so, what? How, how is that all
6: going to work? Yeah, Jordan, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, we have seen you know filling an icon, uh, the shoes of an icon like Sean Payton, uh, is certainly going to present numerous challenges for anybody that tries it. Uh, you know, and De- Dennis Allen is, is the latest person uh, in the way of Sean Payton himself. Uh, but unlike issues that we have seen other coaches have, and I'm thinking back to when Ray Hanley uh, you know, uh, uh, succeeded Bill Parcells uh, for the New York Giants, uh, and you know, we could cite any uh, other number of uh, uh, examples like that. This Saints team is not an aging, over-the-hill team in decline. A lot of their core players, uh, you know, like Kamara, Ramchek, Thomas, uh, Lattimore, uh, you know, they're in their mid to late 20s. So they're in the prime of their physical careers. Uh, They're locked up for the next handful of years. Uh, There's only a few players that I can think of, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, Tyron Matthew, uh, of the projected starters that are even 30 years older or over. So -hmm. that means the bulk of this team is still extremely young. Uh, You look at players like Peyton Turner, Paulson Adebo, you know, Pete Warner, they're only coming into their second years. Uh, A lot of these other players are still on their rookie contracts. Uh, You know, now the team does have a handful of players to address contractually at the end of the year. Uh, Yeah. But outside of that, uh, you know, the the core of this team is still very young uh, and very much intact and hungry. Uh, You know, not to mention, like you said, this organization went out of its way. uh, You know, Dennis Allen, here's your quarterback, Jameis Winston. We're going to give you two first round draft choices to help Winston in the fact in the way of an offensive tackle and a top tier wide receiver. Uh, Oh, what's that? You want another wide receiver to go along with a and returning Michael Thomas. Here's Jarvis Landry. Let's bolster your defensive side. Dennis Allen, you want honey badger. Okay. We'll give you honey badger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oh, you know, we lost Marcus Williams. Uh, let's give you the, you know, the next closest thing in Marcus may, uh, Dennis Allen is, is also fortunate enough to be with an organization that has you know, stability yeah. and patience, uh, yeah. you know, something that we couldn't say about, you know, for you younger fans, that wasn't always the case with the no. New Orleans teams, no. especially pre Sean Payton. Uh, yeah. But Dennis Allen is going to be afforded the patience uh, of a little hiccup here and there. Uh, and, you know, I think he's ready to go. The bulk of that coaching staff you know, is stayed. Uh, intact uh, on the offensive side, especially, uh, you know, where Dennis Allen isn't even going to have to turn a, you know, turn a winking eye, uh, you because know, his focus is going to remain on the defensive side. Uh, and he and Pete Carmichael were with Sean Payton for so many years. Right. Uh, you know, they've been in the same building, the same team meetings. They know each other extremely well. So the continuity of this franchise is going to continue as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why, I, I don't know what could possibly uh, you know, caused Dennis Allen to fail in this situation.
1: Bob, I'm curious. The Saints, everybody knew they wanted wide receivers, okay? And they went via the draft. And then we always thought maybe they were going to get another veteran. And it, there were some some out there that were very familiar with what the Saints have done because they used to be with the Saints. What was it about Jarvis Landry that made the Saints pursue him rather than other veteran wide receivers? <laughs>
2: I
6: believe it was Landry's competitiveness as a player, uh, yeah, and you know, it, even though he is not the most athletic guy, he's an extremely precise route runner. He's he's a very very professional player uh, in the way of you know, practice habits uh, and just the way he carries himself in the locker room and off the field. Uh, you know, all those traits are very important uh, you know, to this franchise in general, uh, and you know it, we we heard in the last week or so. That Jameis Winston himself, you know, had made a strong pitch for a player for Jarvis Landry in particular, uh, and that Jarvis and Jameis had had some conversations, uh, and that Jarvis legitimately wanted to come here. We uh, all of us heard early in free agency that Landry was looking for a long-term deal uh, in the way of about uh, of uh, about a twenty million dollar yearly average. Mm-hmm. When we all heard that, we just kind of crossed Jarvis Landry off you know, off our uh, two B Saints list. Uh, myself included, uh, the fact that Landry kind of ball, uh, kind of buckled uh, at that contract demand, uh, you know, it shows me that he's ready to play for a championship caliber organization. Something that he's not done throughout his career. Now, I grant you, the Cleveland Browns made a playoff run a couple of years ago, uh, but they reverted back to being the Browns we all know and love. Uh, you know, last season, I think Landry is hungry for a championship. Uh, The the fact that he was able to come home to Louisiana to his roots where most of his family is, I think, played no small small part in it either.
1: Do you see this Saints offense being one of those down the field type of offense? I see with Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, it's their ability to separate and separate quickly. Kamara coming out of the backfield. It just seems like, okay, Jameis, 1,000, 1,000, boom, get rid of it, 1,000, 1,000, boom, get rid of it, boom, boom, boom. That's what it sounds like to me.
6: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, yeah, and that's something that Sean Payton preached in Jameis Winston last year, uh, you know, before all the injuries uh, you know, to the receiving core and the offensive line. He wanted to eliminate those mistakes, and we saw Jameis earlier in his career. Uh, you know, when when Winston was forced to hold on to the ball, and when protect and or when protection broke down, that's when mistakes happen. Not only with Winston, but with most quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, you know, this Saints offense, when it was at its best with Drew Brees, was like you said, a very timing-based offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Drew could go through progressions better than maybe anybody in the history of the game. Uh, but you know, at the root, this offense is a very timing-based offense. And even though Sean Payton is gone, again, Pete, Pete Carmichael remains. So a lot of that, uh, a lot of that terminology and mentality is going to remain. Uh, like you said, nobody gets better separation than Michael Thomas. Alvin Kamara is a very rhythmic receiver. You know, everything is on rhythm with, uh, right. with AK-41. Right. Jarvis Landry is much the same player. Uh, you know, yeah, the Saints are still going to attack down the field. Uh, they have Alave, who they, of course, added in the first round. But people seem to forget Alave is not a bombs-away-only type of player. Right, He's right. a very rhythmic pass uh, yep. uh, route runner as well. So yep. he's going to fit right in with that mentality. Uh, Marquez Calloway. He's a, he was a down-the-field guy at the University of Tennessee, uh, yeah, much more route-based now. So I think he's going to fit into this offense very well also. And don't forget, Deontay Hardy is an extremely underrated route runner in and of itself. Yes, this team will attack down the field, but they're going to attack defenses anywhere and everywhere.
1: Doug Marone's the offensive line coach, but I just got a funny feeling that with Trevor Penning, isn't that going to be like the the pet project of Zach Streif? Isn't he just going to be attached to the hip and try and teach this kid and get him up to speed to NFL offensive line play as quickly as possible? That's what I would do.
6: I would certainly believe so. Uh, And in in the way of their physical mauling mentality, Penning reminds you a lot of Zach Streif. Uh, He's a more athletic version of Streif. Uh, I compared him more to Kyle Turley back in the day. Uh, But but Zach always had that mean streak. Uh, you know that just yeah he made a, a defender compete for his very livelihood from whistle to whistle uh, and you know and oftentimes beyond uh, you know so yeah I think you know penning attached to Streif is going to be kind of the coaching in the inside the coaching Marone's going to be in charge of it all uh, and yeah you know, he's a wonderful offensive line coach uh, you know but I think that this is a great opportunity to Zach Street for Zach Streif to beef up his own coaching resume uh, you know for future endeavors. Uh, and you know, it, it, believe you me, yeah, you you are right. He and uh, and Penning are going to be attached at the hip throughout training camp.
1: We'll take a timeout here. We'll continue on the Black and Gold Report, why every Saints fan has fallen in love with Peter King of Pro Football Focus. That story and more after this timeout, the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 24th, 1992, Al Unser Jr. holds off Scott Goodyear to win the Indianapolis 500 by 0.043 seconds for the closest finish in Indy 500 history. Unser Jr., meanwhile, becomes the first second-generation driver to win the race. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right, welcome back. Before we get right back to Bob Rose, final score, game one of the SEC Baseball Tournament, Alabama 5, Georgia 3. Remember, this game started at 9.30. Here we are at 3.38, 3.39, and they haven't started game two yet. It's going to be a marathoner. All right, Bob Rose with us. Um, Bob, I mentioned Peter King. It seems like nobody's very, very high on the New Orleans Saints. He did his... um, his power rankings leading up to the series. He's got Buffalo number one, the L.A. Chargers number two, Kansas City three, the Rams four, Green Bay five, Tampa Bay at six, uh, Cincinnati seven, Baltimore eight, Philadelphia nine, San Fran ten, and the Saints at number 11. He says, um, yes, they'll miss Sean Payton. All right, there's no question about that. But how many teams can line up in a three re- receiver set with Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, Jameis Winston will have a playoff receiving core to lean on every week? He's got him at number eleven. He is high on the Saints. He said they'll be they'll win more in twenty two than they did in twenty one.
6: Yeah, and in my opinion, number eleven is still way too low for the Saints. Woo. Um, uh, but but you're right. You know, Peter King has uh, has ranked the Saints a lot higher than literally anybody, anybody. else. Anybody, I've seen people rank them, you know, quote air quote uh, here, uh, ranking the Saints anywhere from like a nineteenth to twenty third or twenty fourth. I mean, it, it's sickening. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Peter King has a point. I don't think there's any question that the Saints are in position to win more, you know, this year than last year. Uh, yeah, they've improved their roster. Uh, yeah, and that was a roster depleted by injury. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I look for Jameis Winston to have a big year. I, sidebar, I don't personally understand why people are so high on the Baltimore Ravens. I really don't. Uh, at, at least with Green Bay, you know, they, they, they overrate the Packers because of the quarterback position. Uh, right. Yeah, but the Ravens, I just don't understand it. But at least, at least Peter King has our Saints in the playoffs. Uh, for Saints, I, mean, I personally think that this is a Super Bowl-caliber roster.
1: Okay, for Saints fans, um, there's 32 teams in the league. He's got the Atlanta Falcons at number 30 and the Carolina Panthers at number 31. Yeah. Only, only one team worse than our two compadres from the NFC South, and that is the Houston Texans. My goodness gracious. Um, I talked about the three wide receivers. I'm curious as to what you think Deontay... Hardy's role will be because you're always you're very high on him there's only so many balls to be thrown out there kamara's going to get his touches you know thomas is going to get his and so forth and so forth. what's Deontay Hardy's role this year
6: jordy i'm very interested to see that myself uh and you're right i am high on him i think he's an extremely good route runner uh you know his explosiveness is known and feared throughout the league I think Deontay's reps on offense are going to be severely reduced this year. Um, I didn't necessarily think that before they signed Landry, but as soon as they brought Landry in on, in on top of Olave, uh, you know, uh, Hardy will only be a fifth wide receiver uh, as far as standard, uh, you know, uh, standard alignments and lineups that'll give him an opportunity to focus more on his kick return and putt return duties, uh, where he is, in my opinion, the best in the NFL. Uh, where I think Pete Carmichael is going to enjoy the heck out of life this year is using Hardy in ways similar to the way the San Francisco 49ers use Debo Samuel.
2: Oh, okay. I look
5: for
6: Deontay to, uh, to be involved in some packages out of the backfield, uh, you know, certainly in motion. Uh, you know, not necessarily as a standard wideout like we saw him had to be used last year because of you know, injuries uh, and just lack of overall talent at the position. So you know, while I think Deontay's reps at wide as a traditional wide receiver will be severely cut down, I think his effectiveness as an offensive weapon might actually go up. Uh, you know, because certainly the talent around him. Uh, but the way that Pete Carmichael, I expect Pete Carmichael, is going to use him to try to get Deontay in open field. Uh, you know, much like the challenge of getting Camara into open space. Right. You know, we see them move Camara all ar- uh, all around the formation. I think that's the way Deontay Hardy is going to be used for the New Orleans Saints in twenty
1: twenty two. Last time we talked, we had mentioned the possibility of uh, Daryl Williams, um, who was in town to visit. I haven't heard peep since. Have you heard anything?
6: Uh, I, I have. In fact, uh, about an hour, maybe two hours ago, Williams signed a contract with the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Uh, yeah, so he's yeah. off the table. Uh, there aren't a lot of running backs out there now. Uh, if you're searching for uh, a complimentary veteran, uh, Philip Lindsay, a two time 1,000 yard rusher with the Denver Broncos, is still available. Uh, yeah, Jordan Howard, a between the tackles thumper, real productive runner for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you know, he's still out there. Those are the top two names that come to mind for me. Uh, but I think the Saints missed out on an opportunity for Daryl Williams. Uh, you know, like you said, it's he's a back that you and I have been talking about for a few weeks now. Uh, you know, we wish uh, Darryl good luck in Arizona uh, in 16 of his 17 games for 2022. Uh, yeah, but it's a shame that the Saints missed out on a talent like that.
1: I see where uh, Deshaun Watson's got his new team in the Bahamas working out. Of course, Baker Mayfield's not a part of that. How, how in the Sam Hill is that going to work when they come back and they start training? I, I mean, I know they're saying we got to have a viable uh, quarterback in case Deshaun Watson has to sit out eight, nine games, whatever it is. Um, I just don't know how that works.
6: It's a mess, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure glad we don't have to deal with that in New Orleans for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, and we'll even leave the the sticky legal issues out of it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, if you're a Browns coach or front office member or fan, you better hope. Uh, you know, Obviously, you hope your quarterback doesn't get a suspension or a very minimal one. Uh, but word from the NFL has to come down pretty soon uh, you know, about this, because if it's going to be a, a season long or a very lengthy suspension, then I think you've got to bring Baker Mayfield back in that building, don't you? Um, well,
1: better than Jacoby Brissett, right?
6: Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but if it's not, I mean, you know, if this thing extends into training camp or close to training camp, uh, you know, without the Browns knowing any sort of you know, a suspension length for Deshaun Watson, uh, you also can't have those two guys in the same building at the same time. Uh you know so uh, this is one of the more intriguing NFL soap operas I have ever seen. Uh you know and the Browns dug their own hole as far as I'm concerned. Uh you know with the with the classless handling of Baker Mayfield in their pursuit of Deshaun Watson. Uh and now they may have to pay the piper for it.
1: Um but, you know Peter King Saints 11 that's a, that's ahead of Tennessee, that's ahead of Vegas, that's ahead of Denver with the Russell Wilson trade. I I, I I thought they might have Denver rated a little bit higher. You're saying, no, I can see that already.
6: A lot of people do have Denver rated higher, and it's because, it is because of Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, but And I've said this before. Denver still has to prove to me that they can protect the passer. Uh, they have to prove to me that they can rush the passer. They have a heck of a defense, but they cannot get consistent pressure. Uh, you know, they have to uh, the, that receiving core, as talented as it, as it is for the Broncos, they are plagued with drops. Uh, you know, so they have to prove to you know, Russell Wilson, even more so than me, that they can make plays for their veteran playmaker. Uh, you know, you have kind of you know, suggested uh, you know, a, a couple of times in our conversations that, yeah. You know, hey, what does Russell Wilson have left? Because we didn't see a lot of what we were used to seeing out of russ wilson last year Uh, you know so is he on the decline of his career that's the first question that has to be answered the second is obviously can denver protect him they're also uh you know operating with a first-time head coach so how is that situation going to mesh uh you know not to mention the fact that yeah even if all those questions uh you know check for the positive box if you're a bronco fan you're playing in a juggernaut of an afc west division uh, and a meat grinder of a conference in general, uh, you know. So while the Broncos might be a very good team, they might end up with a worse record than what the New Orleans Saints do, just because yeah. of strength of schedule.
1: A lot of teams with a lot of uh, uncertainty. The Saints are not, but I, I think a team with more uncertainty maybe than any is San Francisco. Can Can Trey Lance play? Is Is Jimmy Garoppolo at nearly twenty seven million on the cap? Is he an insurance policy as a non-star? How do you sell that one to ownership? And can they make peace and a long-term deal with with Debo Samuel? They seem to be woo. They, they got some issues there.
6: Yeah, they do have some issues. Uh, yeah, I think the Debo Samuel thing will ultimately be worked out, uh, yeah, at least for the 2022 season. But the quarterback position is much the much bigger issue facing the 49ers. Uh, I believe that if they 100 percent had faith in Trey Lance to take over right now, then Jimmy Garoppolo would not be a San Francisco 49er. You know, we saw uh, we saw Deshaun Watson move this offseason. We saw Russell Wilson move this offseason. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo could have fetched a much lower price for teams that were interested in a quarterback, but it didn't happen. And John Lynch, the general manager of the 49ers, he stood by his guns in the offseason or heading into the offseason. He said that unless you know, that he was willing to go to battle with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback again, yeah. uh, unless they got an offer that absolutely wowed them, they obviously didn't. But that also tells me that Lynch is not one. Lynch or Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, are not one hundred percent convinced that Trey Lance is the guy. I at agree. least not yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, So I think that this is going to be a quarterback battle through training camp. Uh, you know, fans might want Trey Lance, but management probably is kind of holding out hope that Jimmy G wins that job, at least to start out because of the price tag behind his name. If Trey Lance is going to win the job, then you you do have an expensive, but a good solid insurance policy as a backup quarterback, but what kind of harmony is going to exist in those offensive mm. meetings? That's the bigger question.
1: We'll end on this one. Um You know, you, you can't keep everybody. You gotta, you know, you got you gotta lose some people, Marcus Williams being one, but if the saints could go back, don't you think they'd figure out a way to keep a Trey Hendrickson? Man, you talk about help your defense, get a pass rusher, a, a viable, consistent, Pass rusher, pass eruptor, affect the quarterback guy. God, I wish they could have kept him.
6: Yeah, that, that has to be the one name that you circle back to. <clears throat> uh, mainly because, and this is no disrespect to Marcus Davenport. I think Davenport is a beast. Uh, I think Peyton Turner is going to be a good player. And you know, I personally love passing, you Uh yeah. yeah, but to have been able to kept to have kept Trey Hendrickson, uh, you know, maybe inked him to the uh, type of long-term deal that even Cincinnati nabbed him for. Uh, yeah, then you wouldn't be necessarily as concerned with Marcus Davenport's contract situation at yeah. the end of this year. You would be in a negotiating, uh, you know, a, a position of strength negotiating wise. Yeah, uh, you know, all the other positions, yeah, they they have filled you know quite admirably. Uh, yeah, but to have Trey Hendrickson in you know with this defensive line, uh, man, that would keep quarterbacks up <laughs> late at night.
1: All right, we a tip of the glass to Peter King. He's got the Saints ranked high, but not high enough for Bob Rose. Bob, you're the best. We'll talk to you next week on the uh, Black and Gold Report. Thank you so
6: much. Sounds good, my friend. Have a great week. Bob Rose.
0: (laughs) Tune in next week to the Jordy Holtberg Show for the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holtberg Show on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: The Astros look to bounce back tonight against the Cleveland Guardians. You can listen to all the action right here on the game. First pick set for 7:10. That's the Guardians at Astros baseball live from Minute Maid Park tonight, right here on the game. Next, home Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Luke Day on June the 11th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. The charity event benefits Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with dogs with disabilities. The event will be located at Bollier Park Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive in Lafayette. A food truck, Kona Ice Snow uh, Cone Stand will be on site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will be donated to Canine Companions. That's next Home Cutting Edge Realty's Luke Day on June the 11th. Tomorrow, big preview, Southeastern versus McNeese. We'll hear from both head coaches. We'll preview LSU versus either Auburn or Kentucky or who knows who uh, is going on with all the weather-related issues there. Plus, we'll recap, can the uh, Warriors end it for the Mavs, that, and much, much more. Um, thanks to Kendall Rogers, Blake Topmeyer, Justin Napoli, Bob Rose. If today is your birthday, May 24th, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share it with two musical legends. Patty LaBelle is 78, Bob Dylan is 81. James, thank you so much. Thanks to all of you for listening in to our partners that make it possible. Until tomorrow, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy, my friends. Let's be kind to one another. and Let's be happy. So long, everybody.